6.48, we're going to get right into our lecture where we left off last time on the doctrine of prayer. And if we have time, we will start angels and demons and Satan. Woo! Man, that's going to be interesting uh, when we talk about those, that, that subject of the supernatural, the angelic beings, the demonic beings, and Satan himself. But for now, let's go back to our time of talking about prayer. We left off on, uh, it was C under important matters related to prayer, and we're talking about prayer and obedience. Prayer and obedience. It's one of the things I like about systematic theology is, um, you, you know, you talk about Scripture, and you're, you're able to really study the Word of God. And what does, the, and this is Grudem's definition on systematic theology, what does the Bible say about any particular subject? And so when you take what the Bible says about that subject, then you begin to interpret it, you begin to develop a framework, and you begin to develop an overall theological construct. I was talking to somebody yesterday, and we were talking about the systematic theology. I know who it was. It was Laura and Teresa. And we were talking about how when you build a, a, a foundation, a, a foundation and infrastructure on good theology, then you're able to build you, you know, your doctrines, your belief system, and what you believe and how you act. And so I, I just got to commend you guys. I tell people all the time about you and how faithful you are to to study God's Word and to know what you believe and then be able to help other people as you, um, as you teach them or as you witness uh, to them. So, does prayer and obedience have any correlation whatsoever? Think about that. Prayer and obeying God, does it have any correlation? Well, according to Scripture, absolutely it does. Look at 1 John uh, chapter 3, verse uh, 22. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him. People want to stop right there and say, hey, man, I knew I liked that verse. Just ask, okay, Lord, that new car, you know, I saw the other day, and that house, you know, and that, well, no, no, no. Because we keep his commandments, we have whatever we ask because we keep his commandments, and we do those things uh, that are pleasing uh, in his sight. Uh, Peter says something familiar to this in Psalm 34, excuse me, when he quotes Psalm 34 in 1 Peter 3.12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears... Okay, watch the correlation here between obedience and prayer. And his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, we should not think that we must be perfect in order for us to pray or have our prayers answered. That's impossible. None of us are going to be absolute perfect human beings. But saying that, I don't want to minimize the relationship between holiness and sanctification, and obedience, and pursuing God, and God granting us uh, what, what we ask. I like the analogy that of the child and, and the father, or the child and the mother, how you know, they, are, they are our children, and we, and we love them most of the time, amen? We, we do love them. No, we love them all the time. But, you know, they don't have to be completely, I mean, perfect in every way in order for us to grant them, if you will, their request. <clears throat> and I think about this a lot, even with my own children. You know, you have a child that <clears throat> just loves you and just wants, to, just wants to be in your presence or just wants to talk to you or just wants to, you know, how can I help you, Mom? What can I do for you, Dad? Then you look at them like, well, who are you and what would you do with my son? First thing is what you want to ask them. But no, you want to say, hey, I, I appreciate that. And, and you know what I'm saying? As, a, as an earthly father, you want to give good gifts to them because they are doing those things that are pleasing in your eyes. And I think about uh, what Jesus said. If we, being evil, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? 
So prayer and obedience, such, a, such an important topic. All right, D, next is prayer and confession of sin. S-I-N, confession of sin. Um, under the ACTS acronym, acrostic, you know what this is, the C, you've got, what does A stand for, anybody? <clears throat> Adoration, C stands for confession, T, thanksgiving, and S is what? You know, I got a, I got a letter uh, last week. It was, it was really interesting. You know, you, I guess if you just... Hold on a second. I got a good thought, but I got to drink some water. Um, I almost said if you just keep living and get old enough, you, you start hearing these kind of stories. And it reminds me, I'm, I'm, I'm crawling up on 50 really, really quickly. And as you look back over your life and, and people that you've impacted and maybe that you didn't really know that you impacted that, that much. Well, I got a letter from a NASA engineer, and just like an engineer, I mean, he is just very, uh, Herb, you'd love this guy. I mean, he just thinks very linear, I mean, very in syllogism and all. His name's Greg Stover. I don't know, Greg, if you're watching this or not, but God bless you, one of the smartest people I've ever met. Came within a hair of getting his PhD in aeronautics, whatever, but he's working full-time at NASA, and he wrote me a letter, full-page letter, and just said, you know, and this has been 10 years ago. He says, I really appreciate you teaching us about the tryst. Now, remember, the tryst is a, is a meeting between two lovers. And in this case, it's a lover of our soul, God, and, and, and us. And when we come into that tryst, that love relationship, he said, I still utilize that. And I think what he was talking about is I still utilize this acronym, ACTS, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and, and Supplication, as, as he has his quiet time uh, with the Lord. His wife also is a NASA engineer. And their kids are not very smart, by the way. I'm just, just saying. <laughs> you know I'm just kidding, Greg, if you are out there. Uh, brilliant people. So prayer and confession of sin, any correlation between that? I'll be honest, every morning, and even this morning at 0445, dark 30, whatever time it was, um, I got up. I get up, go to the coffee pot, make the coffee, and then I go get ready, and then I sit there before the Lord and... And the first thing I do is I just start praising his name, you know? And you say, you can't praise the Lord at 4.30, Brother Dan. That's impossible. I mean, God's not even awake at 4.45. I mean, he's even asleep. No, no. The eyes of the Lord scan to and fro. He never slumbers. He never sleeps. And I just start praising him and just thanking him. And I go through those 20 or so Hebrew names of God, just one after the other, just talking about it, how much I love him, how much I appreciate him. And I do that. And then when I do that, somebody said, whenever you see God in his holiness, you will begin to see yourself in your sinful. And that happens. And God reveals to me attitudes and actions and thoughts and things that I need to confess. And so, he who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. That's Proverbs 28, 13. I quote that verse every morning of my life. And then I come over to the New Testament, I quote another verse to the Lord, it has to do with confession of sin, and I bet somebody knows what that verse is. Anybody? 1 John 1, 9. We confess the homologeo. The, the Greek word homologeo means say the same thing as God says. If I say the same thing about my sin as God says about it, if I confess it, Lord, I'm sorry. If we confess our sins, he's faithful. He's just to forgive us. And somebody help me. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So this is how I'm beginning my day. I'm just praying to the Lord, praising his name, adoration, and then confessing my sins. And I confess sins of commission, uh, things I've done, things I've said, things I've thought that I should not have. You say, well, Brother Danny, you're a preacher. Come on now, you don't, you don't have to confess sin, do you, really? 
Just ask my wife. She'll tell you. That brother needs to confess sins of commission and then sins of omission. The things I did not say that I should have said. The things I did not think that I should have thought. And the things that I did not do when I could have done them and I omitted them. And so I go through this time. This is a time of confession, of catharsis, of cleansing between me and the Lord. I tell you, it's better than coffee, y'all. I tell you, it it is a time with the Lord and the God of Almighty God. Can you imagine in his omnipresence and, of course, in his omnipotence, he just comes right there where I am in that small little, in that little room and just having that time with the Lord. Adoration, confession, and then, of course, the time of thanksgiving. But there is a correlation. We know that between confession and sin. So let's talk about prayer and forgiveness. I was thinking a lot about that this morning and yesterday as I was thinking about our lecture. Uh, Jesus has some very strong words related to prayer and forgiving others. In fact, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, 12, He says, Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Now, that is within the context of the Lord's Prayer, right? How about these verses? Uh, Mark eleven twenty five. <clears throat> Good morning. And whenever you stand praying, you know, these verses are going to mess somebody up this morning. I I really believe this. I believe somebody's going to get a little spiritually discombobulated this morning because, well, because. If you have anything against anyone, how inclusive is that, anybody? That's mighty inclusive. Anybody, anything, forgive him. You forgive him so that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. Well, what about the corollary to that? Or what about the antithesis of that? And that's seen in Matthew 6, 14 and 15, where it says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you, Jesus said. But if you do not forgive men, if you don't forgive people their trespasses, then neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I tell you, this is, a, this is a powerful teaching from the Lord. This direct correlation between our prayer and our vertical relationship with Him and how it absolutely impacts our horizontal relationships with, with one another. I wonder today if that's the reason why some that I'm speaking to right here and maybe online, that you feel like some, there's some coldness, there's some distance between your relationship with you and Christ. It's like... Your, your prayers get about as far as the ceiling and they bounce back down. Or you feel like I'm praying and like heaven is brass. I mean, it's just like reverberating off the heavens. It just feels like I'm not getting anywhere in my walk with God and in my prayer life. I try to read the Bible. It doesn't make sense. And I wonder if it's because you haven't forgiven somebody. I mean, really deep down, deep down, I wonder if you are, have an unforgiving, caustic, bitter spirit about you and God, is, He's just true to His Word. He's just like, well, I'm going to forgive you. What is it like to live in relationship with God and not be forgiven by God because I'm not forgiving somebody? That's a bad place. That's just a really bad place to be. I would encourage you to go ahead and forgive because, after all, you're the only one in the cage, right? The person who offended you, he, he don't care. He may be dead. Or she, she could care less if you're offended or not. So just kind of... You know, I read this article in the New York Times last week, and it's... Um, it's, a, it's one of the most amazing stories I ever read. It's a story about this uh, guy and his girlfriend. They had argued consistently for 36 hours through texting, through phone calls, through, ma- I mean, just fussing and arguing and arguing. It was his girlfriend. I think they were living together. 
And uh, finally, he just, he just pulled out his gun and pointed it at her. And he said, I'll show you. And she got on her knees, and she said, hold on. She, said, she just begged him. She said, please, let's, let's make, work this out. And he shot her right in the face. Four days in intensive care on a ventilator. Uh, mom, her mom and her dad obviously rushed to the hospital. And the dad, when he was in that room with her, he said, she did not say these words, but it, it, was, it was if I could feel these words. And she said two words to me, forgive him. That's, I thought also she, he, said, he said, I didn't want to hear that. Because you know, that's the last thing I wanted to do is forgive him because my daughter is about to die. And he said, you know, every time Jesus asked me to do something before, I've done it, so I'm not going to stop now. And so he said, I choose to forgive my, what he thought would be his future son-in-law. Now the mom comes around, and he has a list of people he can, the, the, the daughter dies. After four days, she dies. And so now he's incarcerated, he's put in jail, and he has a list of people. He has just a small list of people that he can put on that list who have access to him. And lo and behold, he puts his, what it would be, his mother-in-law, his fiance's mom, on that list. And she goes, that's just too much. She goes, I just... I just can't do this. I just don't want to see him. I don't want to forgive him. I certainly don't want to visit him. And then she went and visited him, and, and she chose to forgive him. And this is what she said. I did not want to live the rest of my life thinking that somebody owed me something. That's powerful. I don't want to live the rest of my life thinking, you owe me. And, and the bitterness that would, that would eat me up just thinking, well, you offended me and you owe me and you're in bondage to me for the rest of your life. She said, I didn't want that. And so both of them actually chose to, chose to forgive. Mm. What about prayer and humility? Let's talk about F here for just a, just a second. Prayer and humility. When we come to God in prayer, we come with a humble heart and with a humble attitude. And Scripture has so much instruction for us at this point. Let, let me read... A passage out of the Old Testament and a passage out of the New Testament. Psalm 138.6 addresses this beautifully. Though the Lord is on high, yet he regards the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. Mm. How about James 4.6? Don't you love the book of James? Man, if you ever just need to know where you stand, open up the book of James. He'll say, I'll tell you where you stand, you reprobate. You need to get right. I love James. I mean, he is like... Boom! He puts it on you. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud. But what does he do? He gives grace uh, to the humble. Remember the parable Jesus told of the Pharisee and the tax collector and, and the juxtaposition of their prayers? How the tax collector, he, he bragged. He said, oh, God, thank you. I am not like that guy. That sinner, that tax collector. Thank you, Lord. I'm just not like him at all. You know, Lord, I fast twice a week. I give you my tithes. And God, you're really blessed to know me. You know what, you know what I'm saying? I mean, this is pretty cool that you're, you know, that you're even listening and, I, and I'm talking to you. But thank you, God, I'm not like that guy. And remember what that guy did? His prayer was very, very simple. He said, God, be... Anybody remember? Be merciful to me. Uh, remember what Jesus said? He said, of the two guys who left the temple that day, guess which one went away justified? And, and they were like, well, which one? He said, that guy, the tax collector, because he was humble, he was broken, he didn't enumerate to me what I already knew about his tithing and his, his faithfulness and his fasting and blah, blah, blah. 
you know, God resists the proud, but he gives grace uh, to the humble. I like what Grudem says here, and I want to quote him for just a second. He says, true humility, true humility before God, which will also be reflected in genuine humility before others, is necessary for effective prayer. End of quote. That's why I want to begin my prayer time with the Lord with confessing my sins. Sins of pride, sins of, sins of the heart, sins of the tongue, sins of the hand, sins of anything that I have done to offend the Lord. I want Him to forgive me. All right, good morning, persistent prayer. Let's talk about G, persistent prayer. Uh, here on your outline, let me see if I, we didn't put the copy, another copy in the, in the seats, but persistent prayer, there it is, G. We're making our way through, through prayer. When I talk about persistent prayer, I'm talking about spending much time with the Lord in prayer and even asking the same prayer uh, over and over. And I want to show you some biblical precedent for that because some people argue with that. They say, why do you have to ask God? Just ask Him once. He's omniscient. He's not going to forget. Okay? But you're asking Him over and over and over. Why do you do that? And that's a good question. And when Jesus, in the, um, in the temptation narratives for 40 days and 40 nights, He is praying and He is fasting. So you see this persistence in prayer, a good example there. What about Paul? In 2 Corinthians 12, 8, let me give you a little Bible pop quiz here. How many times does it say he prayed regarding this thorn in the flesh issue? How many? Three times? Why didn't he just pray once? I mean, wouldn't that suffice? I mean, I've asked you, Lord, about it, but he didn't. He prayed consistent. consistent. In fact, even Jesus prayed the same prayer twice within the same context. I didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't realize that until I was studying the big, the big boy over there, the big exercise book, the systematic theology book. And let me give you the text. You may want to jot this down. In Mark 14, verse 36, Jesus prayed that this cup of suffering, the cup of suffering of the cross, be removed from him. And then just a few verses later, Mark 14, 39, he prays the same prayer again. Basically, it's the same prayer, and he says it twice. In fact, Jesus gives us a whole parable about persistence in prayer and repetition in prayer, if you will. It's called the parable of the, of the widow, the persistent widow. Uh, remember, she kept, she kept asking and asking, asking so much that the unrighteous judge said, Oh, goodness, I'm going to answer you so you will what? Remember? Leave me alone. You know? And Jesus said, This is the way you ought to pray. In fact, he said that in, in Luke 18.1. He says, This is the way that you should pray and not lose heart. You should pray with uh, persistence. Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray continually or, or without ceasing. Think about the, uh, the apostles in the book of Acts. I love this verse. Acts 6, 4. He says, you know, the deacons are going to help you take care of these matters, but we're going to give ourselves to, anybody? To prayer and the ministry of the Word. In fact, in my quiet time, I have, um, I have, I have a prayer list. I don't know if you guys do this or not, but I have pages and pages. In fact, that's what takes up the bulk of my prayer time on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I get this list out. And I have tons of names and tons of issues and people, and every one of them, every is, everyone is, everyone is dated with a date. And then I pray over that. I mean, I pray and pray for different. A lot of you guys are on there. You may not know that, but I'm, I've got you, and I'm praying over you. And when God answers it, 
I love that part. I get all excited. And I go up and I put, thank you, Jesus, and I date it. Okay? And now, remind you, I've got, I don't know how many pages and pages. If I ever feel a little down and discouraged in my faith, to God, do you really answer prayer? Do you really hear me? I just look at my notebook and I'm like, wow. I mean, there are hundreds, I don't know how many, of answered prayers that God has granted to me. And sometimes God answers those prayers just like that. You ask, boom. Like this Ken Ham thing, Lord, would you send him? He said, yes, I will. I'll take care of it. And I was like, what? Really? Boom. You ask me, and then other times I'm just praying over and over. I don't think there's a problem in that at all. In perpetual, persistent, consistent prayer, asking, are you going to bother God? Is God tired of hearing you? Are you going to, are you just, you, no, he's not tired of hearing us. How many of you have lost loved ones and lost friends? Man, I got them on my list. And I am praying over them. On this My Hope with Billy Graham thing over the last months, I have the same names over and over and over. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, praying, praying, praying. So I found out yesterday, I found out yesterday, these guys are coming up to me like at the gym and they're like, hey, I got your note that you wrote me. Uh, what, what, when, when is that again? And I said, it's Sunday, November the 10th at 7. He goes, it go from 7 to 10? Is that what you said? I said, oh, no, no. I said, seven to eight. He said, all right, I'll be there. And I was like, what? You're really, you're going to come to my house and listen to Billy Graham preach the gospel. He said, yeah, you asked me. You invited me. Talked to my chiropractor guy yesterday. And I said, man, I just want you to know I respect you. You're getting an invitation in the mail. And he said, I haven't gotten it. He goes, hey, did I get an invitation in the mail? They said, oh, yes, sir, we're about to give it to you. And I explained it to him. He says, I'll be there. I said, you will? That's almost like you're really going to come to our house, eat our dessert, and hear the gospel. And he goes, he, and this is what my, my doctor told me yesterday, my friend. He said, if that is that important to you, then I'm going to come. And I said, it is. It's incredibly important. I said, why don't you bring your son too? He said, well, I, I just might uh, do that. And I have to attribute this to the power of... Somebody help me. Pray, when Jesus said, you don't have... Or, or James said, you don't have because you do not ask. Have y'all ever done this... Have you ever asked God for something and he answered it and it just, it just shocked you to no end? You know, like yesterday, I said, oh, you're going you're gonna to come? To my, and it's like, God's like, you knucklehead. Didn't you, didn't you ask me? Did you not ask me? I'm like, oh, yes, Lord, I did ask you. And, and boom, God answers those prayers. I wonder how many more people would get saved and how many more people would come to Great Hills if we, if we prayed, if we sought the Lord and just bathed it in, in prayer over and over. Persistent prayer. How about praying with intensity and passion? Uh, this kind of goes with, with persistence, but intensity and passion. Hebrews 5, 7, the Bible says, Jesus prayed with loud cries and tears. You ever seen that? You ever seen a verse in the Bible and go, I didn't know that was in there. That's what I did. I was like, he did? He prayed with loud cries and tears. Was he loud because he thinks the Father cannot hear him? No, it's just passion. It's just intensity. I tell you, when Hannah had her wreck and we lived in Arkansas and we got the phone call, she was at Liberty University and, and they said, your daughter's been in a very bad accident and, and Ashley and I were just standing there in the kitchen, we're looking at each other and, and then Hannah gets on the phone, she goes, Dad, I cannot feel my legs. And I thought, oh my word, I mean, I, I mean Ashley and I, we dropped to our knees. You're talking about crying out with, with passionate pleas to God. I mean, this wreck was so bad, and the girls who were in the car were so hurt, and Hannah had this massive concussion, and, and she was paralyzed momentarily from the waist down. So I just, 
Man, I just started calling out to God and started praying, and I didn't know this, but some of the men in the church found out about it, and a bunch of them just took off to the sanctuary. And they went to First Baptist Slovakia, and a bunch of them just got there on their knees, and they were crying out to God on Hannah's behalf. And I believe to this day, that's why she's walking. I believe God heard our prayers. I believe He just heard us, and He had mercy. He had grace on us. Praying with intensity, uh, Daniel 9, 19. Let, let me share this verse with you. This is Daniel, a man of God, a man of prayer. Opened up his windows to Jerusalem. Prayed three times a day, amen. Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. You'll see the exclamation points. It captures it there. Oh, Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God. And, or for your, for your city and your people are called by uh, your name. So, Daniel 9, 19, intensity in prayer. In prayer. <clears throat> I think I've shared this story with you before. Big church, I want to share it with you again. Because when I think of intensity, and I think of uh, somebody who, who believed God and prayed and was, I mean, walked with God, and it was Charles Grandison Finney, F-I-N-N-E-Y. Do you spell your name, where's Finney? Do you spell your name E-Y or just Y? E-Y? Just like Charles Finney. P, it's P-H-I-N-N-E-Y. That's cool. Thank you all for letting us have a conversation here. Just, just between two of us. But uh, David, right? It's your first name. That's two good names, right? David Finney. Well, Finney, <clears throat> and again, I, I've critiqued him, and I continue to, to critique him in, in, in my mind as I've studied his life and studied his theology. Finney was... He was a very gifted uh, lawyer. He was 29 years of age, practicing law in New York. And uh, God saved him, radically saved him when, when he was out of law school and he's practicing his law. And his famous quote is, I now, he, he had this deacon from the church he was going to, he, he was supposed to prosecute his case, and, and, and the guy never showed up. Finney never showed up. And the guy's like, where is my lawyer? And he showed up and he said, I, I have a retainer from the Lord and from now on, I'm going to prosecute his case. And he turned away and walked away from his law practice. And never went to school as far as theology, and I think that is reflected in his writing and his teaching and his preaching. And so, uh, anyhow, he made a great pastor, though. He, uh, he was passionate with his people. I mean, he's, a two -hour, he's one of them two-hour preachers. I let y'all off way easy, way easy. I mean, Finney... I mean, the first congregational church in Oberlin, Ohio, when I went up there and spent a week in their special collection, the archives department at Oberlin College, this was 20 years ago I did this. And, and it, they had a queer pride week while I was there. Had the banners, had the tables, and they had queer pride week. And I was like, are you kidding me? Charles Finney would pass out. I mean, he was so straight, he wouldn't even drink tea or coffee. He had caffeine. I mean, he was just, just straight. And, and I was like, my land. So we go there, and we're studying, and they said, well, you need to go to the church that he pastored. And I went to the church, and I remember standing behind his pulpit, and it says, this is the pulpit from which Charles Grandison Finney preached when he was the pastor at Second Oberlin. And I stood there, and I just closed my eyes, because this was one of the first mega churches, if you will, in the West, the Midwest. And, and there was balcony. It was just full. Well, one day, it was 1852, he came to that pulpit, and they had a full choir, Packed out, packed out church. I mean, probably seat 2,000. They run about 60 now. I think they run about 60. They ran 2,000, okay? And Finney would get up, and he would pray. 
And they, he came to church one day, and they had a drought. It had not rained for weeks. It was one of those horrible droughts, no prospect of rain. Y'all may remember this story. Charles Finney walks in the pulpits. Anybody remember what he had in his hand? He had an umbrella in his hand. Now, how ridiculous is that? He comes in there, and he prays this prayer. He says, Oh, Lord, we won't rain. We do not presume to dictate unto thee, but our pastors are dry. Our earth is gaping open for rain. Oh, Lord, send us rain and send it now. Although to us there is no sign of it, it is an easy thing for thee to do. While he stood at the pulpit, a torrential rain came down. No, no, really. This is a true story. I mean, this is very well documented. Summer of 1852, it's called the Prayer for Rain. And all of a sudden, the choir, man, they got after it. They just stood to their feet and just thundered out the, the words, praise God from whom all blessings fall. And they just started singing to the Lord. The congregation just went crazy. They walked outside and it was a deluge. I mean, it was just pouring, just pouring down rain. Some people would say, well, let me ask you a question. Where is the God of Finney today? Why, why don't we see God do stuff like that today? I've got a better question. Where are the finnies of God? See, that's a whole lot better question. God's the same today, yesterday, and forever. But are there passionate, praying pastors and people of God who would beseech God? Listen to this. Beseech God so much that if God does not come through, we look ridiculous. I think God likes us there. I think God likes us living on the edge where we're absolutely, unequivocally uh, dependent upon Him. And if He does not come through, uh, then, then you don't make it. Or it, it, does not, it does not happen. Boy, we do not like being at that place. Raise your hand if you're like, oh, brother, I just love that place. I just love when I have no idea what's going to happen. I just love it. I mean, you know, it's just going to take an absolute miracle and I'm just at perfect peace because God's going to come through. Man, I, I, amen. I wish I was more like you. I want to be more like that. Just at a perfect place of peace. And unless God heals, they're going to die, okay? Unless God comes through, the church does not make it. Unless God comes through, this marriage is not going to make it. I mean, God, He, he specializes in those places. I mean, he, he performs miracles and wonders when we're in those places of helplessness. It's just His specialty. All right, prayer and waiting. I know y'all would want me to talk about this. Y'all would love this subject. All right, I is prayer and waiting. God is the sovereign ruler of all, and when we pray to him, we must not treat him as if he is some cosmic Santa Claus who quickly, with rapidity, immediately will answer our prayer. Sometimes he will, but most of the time, God tells us to do what? He does tell us to wait. Waiting is hard. Nobody likes to wait. I, I haven't met them. I promise you they don't like to wait on 183. You know. I, I know they don't, they don't like to wait. I mean, you'd be sitting at a stop sign or a stoplight, and I do text, but I text when I'm stopped. I mean, God's convicted me of that. I mean, really, just texting, uh, you know, it used to be one of those, be texting and driving, you know, and looking, you know, and, I, and God convicted me of that. He says, you don't need to do that. So I... I put it down, but when I stop, I'll text. Now, if you're texting at a stop sign, anybody know where I'm going with this? And the cars ahead of you are way gone, and you're still texting, 
You know, there's a way to get people's attention. You know, bump, 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 bump. Oh, not in Austin, baby. And they just lay there, and they start doing this stuff. And you're like, man. None of y'all ever did that, though, did you? You don't, you don't ever do that. You're always kind. We don't like to wait. Nobody likes to wait. We live in a microwave culture. I mean, we want the church to grow now. We want my, I want my health to improve now. I want her to get her act together now. I want them kids now, 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 God. I wonder if that says more about us than what we realize. And we're not trusting him. We're not believing him. We're not waiting on him. Psalm 38, 15. Listen to this verse. But for you, O Lord, and he's praying. Stay, stay with him. But you, O Lord, for you I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. There are times, Gruden points this out, and I like this. He said, but there are times when you're in the moment, you, you ought to pray and ask God to intervene, like, immediately. And he gave a scriptural example. That's why I like him. In Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 4, uh, Nehemiah's been summoned to the king. <clears throat> and, uh, and Nehemiah's like, man, what, what in the world? And he goes into the presence of the king, and the king's like, I understand you have something on your mind, something on your heart related to your people. Nehemiah, what do you want me to do for you? And then the king said, what is your request? And Nehemiah said, and I prayed to the God of heaven. I love that. He's like, Oh, Lord, please help me. Please help me now. And, and God did. God gave him favor. God gave him the words, and he was able to present his request uh, to the king. So there are times of prayer and waiting. Then there are times of just, Lord, come through, uh, and he does. How about praying with others? We've got a couple more of these, and we're almost, uh, almost done. Praying with, uh, with others. Jesus said something very fascinating in Matthew 18, 19, and 20. When two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. What? What about that? Have you ever asked yourself, what does that mean? Because, I know God, when I'm in my quiet time, like at 5 o'clock this morning, it's just me and the Lord and the Bible, and I'm praying. He, is God present? Yes. But what does Jesus mean when he says, but when two or three are gathered together in my name, I am in the midst of them. I think there's just a, I don't know, there's just something special about this. I really can't explain it because I know God's with us all the time. But I also know God says, but when two or three of you bind your hearts together and you're in agreement on the same thing, God gives a special anointing, a special favor, if you will. He promises to be with us in that, in that context. I was praying with Ashley before we went to sleep. I mean, those, are some, those are some short prayers, by the way. You know, I'm just about passed out. She's about passed out. I said, oh, let's pray. Let's pray. And so I start praying. I start Asking the Lord and thanking the, thanking the Lord. And, and I tell you, there's something really sweet. If you ever notice, you can't be upset with somebody and pray with them. You ever notice that? I mean, you really can't. My Lord, help this, help him, this soul, this poor soul here. You can't do that. You just, you just can't. You've got to forgive. You've got to be in, in fellowship. Pray with it. There's something about this. It's very, very powerful. The early church practiced it in Acts 1.14. The Bible says, quote, And they all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. And that's right before Pentecost, by the way. They're praying in, in one accord. In Acts 2.42, remember this? The first radiant church, the first vibrant church. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Had some Baptists in the bunch, amen? Doctrine and fellowship. In the breaking of bread, oh yes, and in what? Prayers, in praying. 
I think we talk a lot more about prayer than we actually do it. You know, we do. We, we talk a good talk about prayer. But we, we just don't, we don't pray a lot corporately. We don't, you know, when I'm out and about in the city, people, uh, it's, 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 it's amazing. Uh, they tell me how many people came to that prayer service. Remember that prayer service you had for Explore God? I said, yeah. Remember that prayer service you guys did with, uh, with Jim Symbol? I said, yeah. They said, man, that was, that was really cool. That was really, really neat. And y'all remember all we did, basically, we, we sang and, and some, we worshiped some, but we really, we got on our knees and we just prayed, prayed together. We did this a couple weeks ago up in um, Dallas. A group of pastors from all over the country, 170 pastors from 26 states. We all came in this one hotel and for two days uh, uh, we prayed. And it was amazing. I mean, first of all, we prayed for ourselves, that God would forgive us as pastors and leaders and, and forgive us and cleanse us. Then we started praying for our churches. We started praying for our nation, for revival, for spiritual awakening. I mean, it, whew, it was intense. And you could just, the palpable presence of God. It's almost like you just reach out and touch Him because there we were, prostrate before Him, on our faces, praying out, calling out to God. Praying with others. Number, or letter K, praying and fasting. This is our last one. Prayer and fasting. Uh, the Old and the New Testament is replete with examples of prayer and fasting. Now, I've only listed a few, just a couple. Then I'm going to share with you some personal thoughts on, on fasting that, that I personally do. Some examples would be Nehemiah. We read uh, just a moment ago about him and his, uh, his ministry, his journey of uh, getting the people back to Jerusalem, rebuilding the wall. I think of Esther. Remember that? Uh, Esther, she says, now... Ladies, pray and fast. Don't eat anything, don't drink anything for three days. And I'll do the same thing, she said. And then I'll go in the presence of my husband, King, and boy, be, please be praying for me. And then there's Daniel, a man who prayed and fasted. Remember, he did a 10-day, and then later on he did a 21-day prayer and fasting where the only thing he... And this is called the Daniel fast, by the way. And I know churches that... They begin the new year with Daniel fast. All the congregations, like Gateway Church, y'all heard the big Gateway Church, it's exploding up there in Dallas, Fort Worth. Uh, my sister-in-law is on staff there, and she's the one that tells me about it. She says, we do these Daniel fasts. Well, we don't eat anything sweet. I'm like, hold on, just say, what did you say? <laughs> you don't eat anything sweet? No, nothing sweet, no dairy. We eat just what Daniel and the boys ate. It's fruits and vegetables, and, that it, and, that, and that's it. And um, I don't know if I ever told y'all this, but... It was, I was doing this on a ten, for 10 days, and on day 9, Rob Hatley calls me and says, we believe you're the person God's leading to our church. I was almost done with this fast because I was seeking the Lord. I was like, this is a major, major decision, and so I'm praying and fasting for 10 days. You say, what fruits and vegetables, Brother Daniel? You ever tried this? Woo, no meat, no sweet. Just fruit and vegetables. I was like, oh, Rob, please hurry and call. If you're going to call me, come. No, I'm just kidding. But he did. He called and he says, we believe God, you're our, you're our guy. And so um, I said, well, let me do one thing. And then I will get back with you. And, uh, and I went to my son. I went to my 17-year-old son. And I said, Bryant, you're about to start your senior year in high school. He's, I remember where we were in, in, in our home. He goes, he looked at me and goes, yeah, Dad? I said, there's a church in Austin that's called us, and there's a good chance uh, we might go, but here's the thing. I want to ask you what you think about that. And I don't know if I've told you all this story or not, but had he said, Dad, please, no, 
I mean, there's no hesitation whatsoever. I was going to say, okay, thank you. I was going to pick up the phone and say, Rob, I don't feel God calling me to come to Great Hills. That, everything was riding on that one decision. Had he said, Dad, please don't, please don't move us again. I, I'm starting my senior year in high school. But Brian, Brian didn't do that. Obviously, I'm here. He looked at me and goes, that sounds good, Dad. <laughs> he said, that's, that's cool. That's okay by me. I said, are you sure? Because, you know, I love my family more than I love you. I love my kids and my wife more than my church. And if I'm going to fail somewhere, bud, it'll be here. It won't be at 9550 Savannah Ridge Drive. You know what I'm saying? Because they're my first congregation. Uh, there's my wife and, and my kids. And so um, praying and fasting, being desperate, seeking the Lord. Listen, when big decisions come, I encourage you to pray and, and, and fast and, and just do what the early church did. Do what the saints of old did in the Old Testament. Jesus did this. Jesus prayed 40 days and 40 nights. And this one text, and Jonathan Falwell was talking about this a couple of days ago, a couple of weeks ago in this prayer meeting. He goes, there's a text in the Bible. He said, it fascinates me. It's my favorite text on this topic of prayer and fasting. And Jesus in Mark chapter 9, verse 29, you know, the disciples, they, they came, they said, we can't cast this demon out. Man, this demon, he's staying in and we're, we're confused. Jesus, what's up? And he goes, this kind only comes out through, anybody? Prayer and what? Say it one more time. Fasting. Prayer and fasting. And so Jesus believed in it. He practiced it. He assumed, I think he assumed that we would, we would do it. In his discussion with the scribes and the Pharisees, you know, they, he said they, fa they fast and they tithe over all these things, and so they should. So he's endorsing tithing and fasting. But they neglect the more weightier matters of the law, justice, and so forth. While I was studying this section, I, again, I, I just love to learn. I, I really enjoy learning. I learned something. I learned something between the correlation of prayer and fasting and calling new pastors to your church. And, um, and Grudem taught me this based on Acts 14, 23, where Paul says, Paul and Barnabas said, we're going back through the churches they planted and they appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting. Mike, this is startling to me. They appointed their elders in the process of praying and fasting. And so that's what I've been doing here lately. Because we need some pastors. I don't know if y'all noticed this or not, but we, we need some pastors. We've gotten healthy. Our church is starting to grow again. And we, we need some new folk. I mean, we need a, a young adult pastor and we need a, a student pastor. Because that sorry rascal left us to go to Little Rock. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm a, did I say that? That wonderful, fine man of God, Chad, is left, and I love Chad, and I do miss him. But we need those pastors. So I'm, I'm, I'm going back, you know, I think it was last, last week. I said, I'm going to do this three days, prayer and fasting, and I'm just going to call out to God. And, I, and by the way, when I'm fasting and I'm praying, I do this for hungry people. You with me? Because the world, most of the world will go to bed tonight hungry. Number two, I fast for our, uh, our missionaries, and I call them out by name. And I just got to be honest, number three and four, this may be a little selfish, but I fast for you, just for you, for Great Hills Baptist Church. Listen, if you're a member of the church, I am fasting for you. God would bless you. God would anoint you. He would bless your marriage. He would bless your relationship with him and your children. And then fourthly, I fast for myself, my personal ministry, whether it's Great Hills or DFEA and my itinerant ministry. I'm asking God to, to, to bless that. And I, 
And, I, and I, I'm kind of nervous talking about this because I don't... I, I, this is a very personal, very private thing. I would not be talking about it today if I was fasting today because Scripture says when you fast, don't do like the scribes and Pharisees. Oh, I'm so hungry, but I'm fasting for the Lord. Oh, I'm so hungry. Jesus, don't do that. You hypocrite, wash your face and get going, you know. and Get, get on out there. And, and a lot of you do this, and I know this. I know our staff does this. I just know. I know they fast and, and pray, and I think I know when they do sometimes. I just kind of watch them, you know, just kind of looking at them, and I think it's awesome. Are you, man, there's a lot more I want to say. How much do I need to say? This is what I say. This is a good quote. Most Christians in the West do not fast. Grudem, Wayne Grudem. But if we were willing to fast most regularly, even for one, more, one meal or two, we might be surprised how much more spiritual power and strength we would have in our lives and in our churches, end of quote. I, I like that. I agree with that. And so... Uh, it was fun. Went out to eat with a couple of guys uh, from Great Hills, uh, and uh, after this class, and, uh, and one of them ordered a real bland thing of oatmeal, and uh, the other guy and me, man, we were at bacon and eggs and pancakes, amen. And I'm looking at the other guy, I'm going, "What is the deal?" He goes, "Well, you can tell you didn't want to tell me." He's, like, "Well, I'm, I'm I'm actually fasting." I was like, "Oh." I took my eggs and bacon, you know, I started eating, I'm just kidding, I didn't do that. But it's powerful, y'all. I, I, I tell you, I'm always glad when I do it, and when I'm done with it, I'm never glad to do it. I'm just being honest with y'all. When the Holy Spirit starts prompting me to do it, I'm like, I don't want to do that. No, 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 I, I, I like, I want to eat. But the Lord says, do you want, my, you want my meal and my will more than your meal? And then I do, I do. Okay. Last thing, just some concluding remarks on prayer. And I've got my notes here to get into angelology. Woo, son, I'm looking forward to that. I don't know if I'm going to make it today, but I've got my notes here just in case. Uh, in conclusion in prayer, uh, prayer like, like water and like food to the body, prayer is to the soul. Prayer and Bible intake are the, the equivalent to me physically of eating and drinking. Vitally important that we pray. Would, would it be awesome to be known as a praying follower of Christ? You know, last week I called some people out. You know, I just, I could call a lot of people out. So I just thought of Bob Gorham, Ross Hartsfield. You know, people could say a lot about those guys, but it always comes back to, you know, they're, they're men of prayer. Those guys pray. Now, do they walk around going, hmm, mm. No, they don't do that. I mean, Ross might at home, but I, I just, I'm just <laughs> Hey, Tanya, how are you doing? I think you're watching us. No, no, no. You just, you just know. You just know they walk with God and, and they pray. And it's not just in the morning, but it's throughout the day. Uh, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, great model uh, to follow. As far as answers and unanswered prayer, let me close with this. We may pray and not get the answer we're looking for. Has that ever happened to you? Can I raise my hand and say... You may pray and not get the answer you're, you're looking for. Sometimes God says yes, He blesses and He helps us. Sometimes God delays the answer because He wants to take us through the crucible of suffering and difficulty in order that we might trust Him more and in order that He might teach us what He wants to teach us. I think of Joseph. 
I think of Joseph, no doubt, as he's in the pit and as he's in prison before he goes to the palace. I can't imagine this guy not just crying out to God going, <laughs> I know I was a little, I know I was a little conceited, and I know I was, a, I was probably hard to get along with with my brothers, but Lord, really? I mean, in the pit? The Ishmaelites are taking me to Egypt? I mean, you see this going on here now? Now he goes into Potiphar's house and gets falsely accused, and the wife, now he goes to prison for two or three years. I can imagine Joseph is going, what in the world is going on? God, I thought you loved me. Did y'all ever do that? Y'all ever pray that? And then at the end of the book, God always knows the end of the book. It says, Genesis 50, 20, you meant this for evil. Somebody help me. But God meant all of this for good. Gruda makes an interesting statement. I want to close with this statement. He said, if you find that your prayers are unanswered, join the ranks of Jesus and Paul. If you find your prayers are unanswered, join the ranks, first of all, of Jesus, who prayed, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Luke twenty-two forty-two. God the Father said, no. This is your cup. You, you, you'll have to drink it. Three times Paul prayed, Lord, please deal with this thorn in the flesh. Please, please, please. Thrice, three times I ask you. Jesus said, no. My grace is sufficient for you. David prayed for his son not to die in 2 Samuel 12, 20, 23, and he died. The martyrs, can you imagine? Revelation 12, 11, pray, praying, God, spare us. God, help us. God, save us. No, but, but they died. So have you ever thought of it like that? Grudem says, if you find that your prayers are unanswered, then join the ranks of the greatest people who ever lived because sometimes the Father grants it and then sometimes the Father says no. Right. Ah. I want to keep going, but I can't. I think I, think I need to stop. and We need to, we need to pray. Then we'll get into angels. Um, angels, oh my goodness, it's, it's fun. I'm looking forward to it. 738, let's stop. We'll pray in a moment. We'll see if you have any comments or any questions. Uh, any insights, jewels of wisdom that you can share with, uh, you know, with the group here? We'd love, to, we'd love to hear it. Yeah, we have a microphone here if anybody... Wants to be heard. Can't I can't really see, but maybe you're maybe you're have a question, a comment. If not, that's uh, that's cool too. Okay, so what we'll do is we'll pray, and then uh, we'll let you out two minutes early, which is a blessing, and then we will. Uh, I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm going to go study the atonement for hours. I don't, I don't know what your day looks like, but, uh, man, I'm getting into the theories of why Jesus had to die on the cross. Ah. And it's got to be real quiet because it gets real deep. And I told somebody the other day, I said, I'm in big trouble if I don't understand it. Because you ever tried to teach something you don't understand? It's not, it's not good. Somebody told me the other day, yeah, I see people do that all the time. Say, <laughs> so I don't want to do that. I, I want to make sure I understand it. So... So let's do this. Uh, let's just spend a couple moments in uh, prayer. Kyle, why don't you uh, pray for us, brother? Would you start us off in prayer? You got that microphone? Would you start us off in prayer? And when you're finished, would you walk across the aisle?
and give it to Fred uh, Erickson, uh, Fred uh, Erickson, right here. We got so many Freds in this church, I can't keep up with them all. But, and they're all great people. And then, Fred, would you walk across the aisle? And would you give it to somebody over here? And uh, who should we ask to pray over here? I'm going to ask somebody that was sleeping, because I saw them sleeping. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to embarrass them just a, just a little bit. I'm just kidding. Bud Bruner, he's not asleep. But would you just pass it off, Kyle, to, to Fred, to Bud Bruner? And uh, we'll, we'll wrap it up, and we'll, we'll go in peace. All right? Go ahead, Kyle. Start us off, brother. Heavenly Father, we're glad to be here with you. Thank you so much for giving Danny Division for teaching us about who you are and how you reach out to us. And I'd ask you to help us uh, we could pray about a lot of things. We're just going to pray about prayer right now. Help us, teach us to pray. Like disciples asked you, Jesus, we're asking you, teach us to pray throughout our day. Helps be aware of your presence. Helps to feel, believe, and sense how much you love us. Get into your presence. Receive your your love, and worship you in all your glory, so that in that context, and we can talk to you about stuff, we got to download a lot of stuff to you, we got a lot of things in our hearts, heartbreaking stuff around our lives, our friends and family, our city, and the world, we ask you to heal up people that we care about, like Danny was praying about earlier, and ask you to show us how to share mercy and kindness with grace to people, and help us to love one another, because that's how people are going to know that we here at Great Hills Baptist Church actually your disciples, your sons, your daughters, and help us to see who we are, what you'd have us do in Austin and around the world. We love you very much. Love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just love you so much, and we thank you for this opportunity together and, and to praise you, Lord, and to worship you. Lord, uh, we thank you years back when you brought Pastor Danny to us, dear Lord. You brought us a pastor that loves us, dear Lord. You brought us a pastor that's an evangelist that wants to reach out to the world. He wants to reach out to Austin. He wants to find the lost people, dear Lord. And such a caring pastor. But Lord, you also brought us a teacher. And in the last three years, Lord, he has taught us so much. And it's just like this morning when he taught us about prayer, dear Lord. We've all gained and learned so much from him being here, dear Lord. I ask especially that you bless he and his family, dear Lord. You put a hedge of protection around them, Lord, and don't let anything happen to them, Lord. We ask this in your name. God and Heavenly Father, I do thank you so much for the privilege of prayer, and I thank you that here in these United States, we still have the privilege of praying in public if you've called us to do that, and we're not chastised for that. I thank you so much for Pastor Danny and, and uh, for this church, Lord. Pray that you just help us to feel your presence. Do help us to be the radiant church you'd have us to be. Lord, if we're not being bathed in prayer, then Lord, help us that we would be more faithful in this. Help us that we might rise up early in the morning and and praise you and uh, pray for our church, pray for our country, Lord. We just pray that you would be with this nation, bring us back to you. We pray for a radiant church, but Lord, I pray that you'd give us a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching country. Help us to come back to you. I pray for our senators and our House of Representatives and our president, Lord, that they might turn to you and seek your way. 
Lord, now be with us as we leave this place. Help us that we would not forget you and not forget those. Lord, help us to be faithful in forgiving those. If we have anything against anyone, help us to forgive them and uh, would take this thing off of our hearts, Lord, if we have this. Lord, I thank you so much for this teaching on prayer. Pray you'd help us to love you and serve you. Keep us all safe now as we go our separate ways. I just ask this in your holy son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. God bless you. Have a great day.